You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hey, Michelle. Good to see you. Good morning. Morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. What's well, good evening for you, Mel? Good morning for me, yes. Hello. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Well, we're here live inside the Lead to Sword Network, and we've got a little chat box on the side, so anyone joining us can pop in with some questions. But yeah, we're going to do a Q&A episode today, which we haven't done for quite some time, so I'm excited. We are indeed, and um, we've got some crackers that have been submitted, so we'll see if we can do our best to... Help women navigate. I'm thinking, what am I saying here? We want to help women navigate their workplaces really successfully to have careers that sort of thing. That's what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> yeah. So I think we can just dive right in today. Yeah, why not? We've got questions that are coming from both Lead to Soar members and some Lead to Soar podcast listeners. So a good mix here. I'm going to start with a uh, A very general one. It's a a little bit of a softball, but just super Mm open-ended. What are some strategies for self-promotion? Oh, awesome. What a great one to start off with. Okay. (laughs) So strategies for self-promotion. Let's actually talk about self-promotion first, because often when, well, when you and I run programs, Mel, and when I run programs with women, I say, who's comfortable talking about themselves? Who self-promotes regularly in this kind of a shuffling of feet and and, and averting of eyes? And basically, I put my hand straight up in the air because I'm very comfortable self-promoting now, wasn't always the case. But what is self-promotion? It's the ability to have people know what they can depend on you for, how you're going to show up, what you're going to bring, how you're going to move the business forward. So self-promotion is, you know, not hiding your light under a bushel. And guess what? We we defined finally what a bushel was when we were at the Lead to Source Summit in June. I digress. So it's the ability for people to know who you are and what they can either have from you, depend on you for, or buy from you. For those of us who are self-employed, it's really important that we make it easy for people to understand what problems we solve so that people can come to us. So bottom line is that's what it's all about. It's not about having the most Instagram followers. It's not about being a shameless, self-promoting blowhard. And guess what? We all know one. And if you're on social media, you see them all the time. It's actually about really being genuine and real. I'm not going to say the A word authentic. There you go. I just said it. So what do we want to self-promote about and when do we want to self-promote? Well, the bottom line is one of the most important times for you to self-promote is with the two people that matter most to your career right now. That is your boss and your boss's boss because they're the two people and their peers but those are the two people who are making decisions about you as a talented person in the organization so we want your boss and your boss's boss to know what the outcomes are that you're delivering for the organization that's what the self promotion sits on so ways to self promote I had a really good conversation with one of my women's leadership programs just recently where one of the women shared that 
Despite the fact that she doesn't need to, she sends her boss a dashboard every Friday. So, and the dashboard is, you know, a bit of a red, amber, green. So anyone who's ever done project work, you know, a RAG report. So it's, this is what we've done. This is what we need you to pay attention to because it's yellow. Uh, yellow is we want you to pay attention to this, but there's no nothing going on. Red, this is at risk. Red flag, we need you to take action. And accomplishments. So, you know, what we've nailed. So that's one way to self-promote. That's really, really easy. But it also does a couple of things. It gives your boss a heads up of what you're accomplishing. So self-promotion. Always link it to the outcomes though. Don't just say, gee, I've had a busy week. Just say, we've had a really full week, but we're proud of the fact that the project is nearing completion, which means it's going to be on time and under budget and our customers can blah, blah, blah. So using that language of power. But the second thing is it gives your boss an opportunity to intervene and give you help where you need it. So that's one example, Mel. The other is at, at your performance evaluations. So making sure that, in fact, I posted recently a couple of things in Lead to Source, some awesome TikTok videos that I've, I've come across. One was around managing your end of year performance evaluation. Have the statistics. So make sure that you're in there talking about the year that you've had where you have contributed to moving the business forward. The dimensions, not we've had a really big year, I'm really happy with our success. I'm very happy that 15% more customers are able to use our products, which is contributing to the revenue line. And our team, blah, 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 blah. That's self-promotion, talking about how you've moved the business forward. So that's a couple of very real examples of when you can self-promote and how you can do it, Mel. There are a myriad of others. The thing I might encourage this uh, question asker to think about is, do you have a goal in mind? Like, is there some specific outcome behind this that you're trying to get to? Because that could really shape things. And in fact, there's a similar question that came up on one of our coaching calls. So for podcast listeners out there, we have two weekly coaching calls now inside the Lead to Soar Network where members can come and get help from us and from the collective wisdom of the network. And our member gave us permission to talk about this question tonight. So I wanted, I'm just going to shuffle and go to this one mm. next because I think it's relevant. The other thing, just before we close mm. off on self-promotion, well, this part is you, know, you have to be ready to talk about yourself. Yes. And so when should you self-promote? When you're asked to. So how are you? How's your week been? When you're at a networking event, when you're in a meeting. So when you're asked, how's the business going? Be ready to talk about your contribution and how you've moved it forward. That's the general kind of very general advice. Yes. Authentic and graceful self-promotion. Absolutely. Okay. So here's the related one. Although I know many people in positions of influence in my organization, I am not seen for the breadth of my expertise. How can I build my reputation so that people think of me and my expertise so that I'm included in more relevant initiatives? Mm, okay, so this sounds a little bit like... Well, number one, I think self-promotion will be a tactic or a strategy around it. But the the goal here is to, well, I mean, we often hear women given the career advice, raise your profile. Okay, 
right, what does that mean? The advice is this person needs to be known as. So are you a businesswoman who is known as insert whatever it may be and we do a number of self-assessments in our leadership programs and of course in lead to soar and one of them is around are you known as a businesswoman who can move the business forward a whole range of other metrics that, that we measure so the reality is it sounds like this person isn't yet known as someone who can move the business forward so how can she do that well Mel you have certainly like me moved around in your career so I actually think it's useful for us to share out when we've done some things as well so I want to call on you because I've known you now for a few years <laughs> I want to call on you to talk to us about when you joined a new organization probably the one not long after I first met you <laughs> And you you certainly had, you knew someone, that person had brought you into the organisation, but then you had to become known as someone who can do some stuff. So how did you go about demonstrating your worth to the organisation? Okay, I'm happy to share that. And then make me come back to this uh, question askers uh, specifics, because I think mm. there's probably more context I can add. Yep. Years ago, I was referred to an organization through someone in my network. So this person had a lot of power and influence. They still do. In that particular case, they were the client of the consulting company that they referred me to. So right off the bat, I'm coming in with some credibility because the client is the referrer. And I'm pointing this out because... This is something that gets overlooked a lot when women are thinking about, like, how do I make a move? How do I make big moves? Well, you leverage a network and you leverage relationships with people who have power. I would be happy to talk more about that uh, with you inside the network. So getting to how do you become known? You know, in those days, I think I was just trying a bunch of different things. So I would go out of my way to introduce myself to people in the organization that were in different departments and doing different things that I thought could be interesting and putting myself in front of them, but doing it with phone calls and meetings. This was not something I was doing via email, right? And then I was also very active within my industry and using that as a way to generate different types of content. So active within my technical profession at that time, doing networking outside of my organization, just in the industry more broadly, and then using that to, to develop my profile, right? So one tactic is associating yourself with people who have different expertise, right? So what if you did, it doesn't have to be a podcast interview with them, but what if you wrote an article for a trade journal by interviewing someone whose expertise that you want to be associated with? That's a really great way to interact with someone and widen your network, but also to generate something that you can share over and over again on social media or inside your organization. 
I think that's great. And I think the crux of this is how might you be helpful to people who have problems to solve or opportunities to leverage? So one of the things here within your own organisation, if you're really trying to build, because on balance, people do more business with other people that they know, respect and trust. So how do you build that? I call it the golden trilogy, no respect, trust. You start to, well, they have to get to know you. They have to respect your work. So you need to be able to demonstrate the work that you do, the value you bring, the problems you solve, the suggestions that you make. And this is the achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes. And it is about being for the business, which we talk a lot about in, in Lead to Soar going beyond being a transactional partner with your employee. I do stuff, they pay me. So being for the business says, how do I think like a CEO? How do I make sure that I'm thinking about and be strategic? Who are the people that you want to get to know and be known by and say, what's going on in their world? What might I do to contribute to either solving problems or leveraging opportunities? How might I pitch in Sure, it might not be in my job description, but I guess the people who stick to their job descriptions aren't the people that we're aiming at here anyway. But how might I pitch in? How might I show up in service of these people demonstrating my expertise, demonstrating my thought leadership? And I think there's lots of practical ways there. Sorry, Mel, go on. The part I want to add, Michelle, is that the question asker was referring to some technical expertise. and. In particular, I want to say that people like me, people who may have a a technical background or maybe a highly analytical mind, sometimes it can be easy for us to think in sort of black and white terms, A plus B equals C. If I just tell someone, I have this expertise, then they will log that piece of information and use it rationally. And this is simply not the case. People are not rational. And when I take a step back and look... Sadly, sadly, we're not, no. (laughs) Sadly, no. Yeah, when I take a step back and look at myself, I can recognize exactly what you said, that I too prefer to work with people that I know, respect, and trust. And it's not really a science to developing that. Sometimes it's just a matter of showing up in front of someone, and that can be on a screen, right? Across someone's feed, showing up in front of someone enough times that you develop a reputation with them. I mean, we have listeners that we've never met or talked to through the podcast that have come to trust us over time because we keep showing up to we show up. That's right. Make things yeah. for them, right? So I want to take a step back. 10 plus years ago, I decided that I really wanted to make a difference in sport. So no secret, I'm I'm very, very committed to sport, love sport, but I want to see women, more women in leadership in sport. I want to close the global leadership gap in sport and business. But now I'm not an elite athlete, nor have ever been one. I have been on boards and continue to be on boards around the sporting and business sector. But the reality was in the sports system, particularly in my location of my home location of of Melbourne, it's big, it's busy. There's a lot of influential people. I was nobody and not known. So I knew I had to start showing up. 
And part of it was showing up to get to know people, to build relationships based on real, genuine commonality, some, you know, we like each other, what have you. But I had to build the respect, trust, that other part of the trilogy. One of my amazing clients, and I would say an awesome colleague in the sports sector, Lisa Hasker. She is the CEO of Vic Sport, which is the peak body for all of the sporting associations in Victoria. She gave some advice to a group of women I was I was taking through a program. She said, bottom line is you just have to show up and keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up networking is working and building those relationships then gives you an opportunity to demonstrate what you can do when you do it the first time and do a good job people go actually that was pretty cool i respect her work do it again hang on a minute i respect i really trust her because i know i can depend on her to show up and do this so i took that advice from lisa and that's what i've done so i'm now very well known in the sporting sector. I am trusted and I talk about respect, not like. Not everyone likes me and that's okay because I'm not here to be liked. I want my work to be respected and I want people to trust me that I can do what I say I'm going to do for them. So the reality is we have to keep showing up. We have to build really genuine strategic relationships um, and we have to be able to demonstrate our work and what people can depend on us for. So for this listener, thank you for your question. Think about, number one, don't try and build relationships with every human and their dog. Get strategic. Who are the people who are most important? That What we call those right others, those people who are going to be critical to your next one or two career moves. Start building those genuine relationships with those people and give them the opportunity to understand what it is that you bring. Be proactive. So it may be making suggestions. It may be showing up to a project team meeting saying, hey, I've got some capacity to contribute here. Or by the way, I've got some, I know someone who could contribute. So don't sit back and wait to be asked. These people are really busy. And frankly, you need to be popping up in their soup the whole time. Pop up. Oh, here's Mel again. Oh, oh, there's, oh, that, that Mel's quite good, isn't she? She's, you know, we can do it. Actually, we might go to Mel. That Mel, yeah, and that Mel, I saw her work on the XYZ project. Let's get her in to help us here because we can depend on her. So there is no one silver bullet. There is no overnight fix, but it does mean you get strategic, you have a plan, you be intentional, and you're going above and beyond. I love that. Thank you. Okay. I've got another juicy one here. And Ooh, okay. <laughs> I love this one. And well, let me just read this real quick. Okay. My time is my biggest finite resource. Is there an optimal amount of time percentage that one should spend on personal development, networking, and the actual work that meets your job description? I love this question so much because the person asking it is in the engineering consulting world, which means that they are under requirements of the billable hour. And I have so many thoughts here, but Michelle, let's let's go to you first. <laughs> well, long-time listeners will know that one of my standard responses here is networking is working. So networking is part of your role. You're expected to grow your organization and even taking into account the billable hours model, by the way, whoever your employer is, get rid of it because it just does not serve anyone. It's a win-lose. Anyway, let's not go into consulting models. If you're on a billable hours model, you're expected to 
well, we want to offset the cost of your salary with income that you generate through clients. How do you get new clients? How do you get clients to do more work with you? Hello, we're back to our No Respect Trust trilogy. You actually have to be out there selling yourself and your organisation and what you can bring. So that networking has to be a deliberate part of you structuring your days, your weeks, your months. Again, this is not just showing up to anything and everything and going mad on LinkedIn or whatever it may be. It's about having a really deliberate, intentional plan. So in terms of structuring, I couldn't possibly say here's the number of hours a day, days of week, what have you. I will quote from my book, which is coming out early next year, Laura Ryan, who's the global chair of, of Meet Business Women and the founding CEO, said her formula is dedicate two hours every month to networking, building and leveraging your strategic network. And that's in the context of your own personal goals. So I think for this listener, she's got a couple here, which is obviously her personal, her own professional goals, but also they are linked to the business. So have a conversation with your manager and say, okay, we've got to grow the business here. Hello, tick, signal, she's serious. I'm thinking that this is a good way to structure my days, weeks, months in terms of building out new networks and new potential clients and also building the equity in our brand is this a good idea? Is this proportion correct? Get that feedback from your manager and get the advice. No woman's an island, so we mm. should always seek advice that's really targeted. And your manager should be able to guide you in saying, actually, that's a great idea. Or we probably can't afford to let you go for this amount of time in, with non-billables, but let's have a plan about how we can gradually increase that. So yeah, work out a plan, have a conversation with your manager. Part of what I was reading in this is that there's a lot of room for negotiation, right? Uh -huh. There are multiple things here where you have the opportunity every year, probably every month to negotiate where you're spending your time and effort on different things. And in order to do that effectively, you do have to become practiced at tying the activity that you want to do to some kind of business outcome. 100%. Not everyone in consulting wants to go down the business development route where you're 100% client facing and responsible for bringing in millions of dollars of work. And that's okay. All that means is that you have to be thoughtful about what are my goals? Where am I trying to get to? What does that mean for the type of networking that I need to be doing for my career? And similar thing with personal development, employers these days, it seems like, are receptive to investing at least a little bit in their employees' professional development on whatever journey they're going to be on. So, you know, you go in and talk to your manager about, you know, I'm on this track, I'm on the technical track or the project management track, and I'm really hoping to get this kind of professional development course. Can we talk about how I can get investment for that, et cetera? So 
being thoughtful about the path you're on and then finding ways to show that whatever you're asking for, whether it's time to be at networking events, so you're you're not doing billable hours during that time or for some kind of development, how can you tie it back to how it's ultimately going to benefit the business, including you becoming a more effective professional? Yep. Great advice. Nothing to add. The consulting business model with billable hours is lose-lose and it's terrible. It is. We'll have a rant rant on that later. (laughs) Yeah, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, man. I want to go to this next question. And this is really similar to a question that we had at the end of the most recent summit. And this keeps coming up. So we got to talk about this. This person wrote, I am loving being a part of your lead to soar game changers program. But I notice when I speak about it in front of male peers, they get jealous that there's not a similar program for them. How do you respond to that as we are fighting for gender leadership and pay equity? And to go back to the summit, we had someone run into something similar where they got pushback from their leadership on attending the summit because, quote, we're not offering a men's leadership program. So, Michelle, help us understand what is going on here and what's an effective response. Yes, I'm glad you said effective response because I could give a response, but it won't be necessary. Well, it'll be effective for me, but it won't help this person. Okay, so the response is that there is a women's leadership program and and particularly the Game Changers program, which is one of my clients' programs I've been running since 2018, is designed to address one of the strategic imperatives of the organisation, which is to close their leadership gender gap. The organisation in question has a target of 40% of women in leadership by a particular point in time. Not even 50%, just 40. 40%, yeah. Aiming for 40. We're not there yet. (laughs) No, no. So 40%. And part of the analysis, so of course you set a strategy, you say, where are we now? Where do we want to be? And, you know, what's the gap and, and why does the gap occur? The gap occurs, and we're talking about the gender leadership gap here, or leadership gender gap, I should say, is has occurred because women have been for many years locked out of promotions, advancement at the same rate as their male colleagues due to outright bias and discrimination, due to rigid gender stereotypes about who does what at home in society and at work, and of course because women perhaps have not been developed in critical business skills, so their business intelligence skills. And Part of Game Changers and the programs that we do is designed to address a skill deficit, which includes having the skills and demonstrating the skills. Again, let's go back to am I a person who's known as we are we're building capability for more business women to be known as those who can run the business. So the bottom line is there isn't a men's program because this program is designed to align to the strategy to close the leadership gender gap. There are various other programs for all people of all genders to lift their skills across the organisation. In essence, the program that has been in place has been a men's program. It just didn't have that overt label. Well, yeah, we know that from Susan Colantuno's research, 
and others that the world of leadership development has been largely predicated on the needs of men. Hello, just like society, work, etc. So as we moved out of the industrial era and into, I guess, more knowledge workers, certainly that's, I guess that's a 21st century term, but but we certainly started to see the rise of the knowledge worker in the late 90s uh, and early 2000s, there was a different style of management needed because it wasn't command and control. It wasn't sitting on a factory line being supervised about how many widgets you made. And knowledge workers needed different styles of leadership from command and control. So leadership started to develop programs for what men haven't been coached, mentored, trained in, which is engaging the greatness in others. So from the outset of their careers, men are taught about how to get outcomes how to drive the business forward, but they're not necessarily exposed to and taught about how to engage the greatness in others, using their EQ skills to really build their own self-awareness, understand that the rooms that they're in and help people reach their full potential. So that's what leadership programs have been built on, the needs of men. But as a result, women who are not coached, mentored, trained, etc. All of the development that is aimed at women is based on that and we're already good at that. Research says that women's EQ skills are already superior to men's in terms of leadership or outperform men, but our BQ skills, our business intelligence skills are not. So the reason we have these women's leadership programs is to address a strategic imperative and a skill gap. Okay, I've got another question here that is really open-ended and I'm going to read it to you. I think, I think we could, we're going to have to just like pick a direction for it. So uh, this person said, what could be getting in the way of me getting interviews and job offers? Oh, wow. Okay. Far out, man. That's big. Yeah. I have so many questions. So let's go with a couple common things. The very first one is, if you are relying solely on internet job applications rather than building and tapping into a network, this is why you're not getting interviews and job offers. I totally agree. Big deep breath there, listeners slash viewers, because put it this way, there are, we know that artificial intelligence and the number of eyes and hands that touch or reject an application through the candidate assessment software, whatever it's called, we know that we'll reject outright if you haven't got the right keywords, you haven't got the right this, the, the, that. And But the bottom line is, let's go back to what we were talking about before, Mel, about the No Respect Trust trilogy. If I've got a job and it's a really important job and I've got, a, I've got it's vacant, I've got to hire someone to get in there. Am I going to hope like hell someone pops up or am I going to go to my network and say, hey, that I know someone, oh, Mel would be good for this job, I'm going to target you. Or am I going to go to my network and say, this is the job I've got to fill, this is the position I've got to fill, this is the person I need, bring me the right person. The person who's just relying on the applying blind or applying cold, they're up against it. Yes, and of course, we're talking about the mid to senior level roles here, Mel. Of course, we know that entry level roles and and bulk hiring and things like that. Of course, that's 
going to be about. But if you're a senior person, don't put all your stock in that process. Yeah, I can imagine some other potential challenges. So we'll we'll maybe mm. pull on that thread more later if we get some more details. Okay, moving on. And I've got to say, for for that person, let's let's do a, a call out to Renata Bernardi, the Job Hunting Podcast. Go and listen to Renata's podcast. She is the expert in this domain, and she's got a number of them about how you work the system. So do go and listen to that. Okay, next. I'm not being included in meetings where I should be at the table. How can I address this without sounding like I'm whining or bitching? Why should you be there? What will happen if you're not there? Or what will not happen if you're not there? What outcomes won't be achieved? How will the project, the team, etc., not progress if you're not there? I think you need to get really clear on your value proposition about why you should be in the room and what the risks are of not having you in the room. So that's number one. I certainly have been guilty in the past in my career of thinking, oh, how come I'm not in that meeting? I want to feel important by being there. When the reality is I had nothing to add, perhaps nothing to gain. And there was probably a reason why I wasn't. Now, maybe maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. So I think you need to sort of really question yourself, is this FOMO? fear of missing out, or should I really be there to move the business forward? So answer that question straight off. Okay, so let's assume that they've thought through that bit and they should be there and they're being excluded. We don't know if it's deliberate or not. Then what? Then what? Who Find the most powerful person in the room and have a one-on-one chat with them to say exactly what you've just said to us. I feel like I should be included in these meetings because of the value I can provide. Is there a reason why I'm not included? Can you help me understand? Mm. Knowledge is power, right? So there could be a very valid reason or it could be, oh, we're just so busy, we forgot about you. Awfully sorry, in you come. Mm. You and I talked last week, Mel, about the cognitive load on leaders now. It is immense. And we stuff up from time to time. And yes, we might do a stakeholder scan. Yes, we might assemble a project team. But the reality is our brains are working so hard all the time. Sometimes we stuff up and go, oops, oh, I forgot to invite Mel. Or actually, Mel, we did consider having you in the meeting, but we know that project B is of higher priority for you at the moment. So we figured that Michelle would be an adequate contributor at this point. Is that okay? Is it not? Whatever, but then have a conversation about it. Don't assume that you're being overtly excluded. Find out why and put yourself on the radar. But of course, as Mel said earlier, link it to the outcomes. What are, What is the value you're going to contribute in those sessions? Okay. I've got just a few more questions here. I work in an organization that has a culture of disempowerment People with high-ranking titles often defer when it comes to making bold moves or decisions. How might this be changed? That's a very frustrating situation to be in, particularly if those people are more senior to you. This is a really tough one because not knowing the context, the culture, and the type of leadership culture. So I always go straight to the top, you know, because, you know, the fish rots from the top. So what's the CEO wanting the organisation to do? And what is that CEO style? Does that CEO 
delegate appropriately and empower or enable their direct reports to make decisions to take the business forward. If that's not happening at that level, it's not going to happen all the way through. So, you know, that that's a really, really tough one to overcome. I have found in my own career that organisations that are like one-legged ducks, you know, swimming in circles, not making decisions, there will be a a culture of mistrust or low trust levels. Uh, There will be maybe not clear delegated levels of authority, i.e. if I'm at this level, I can make these decisions with these dimensions associated with it. For example, if I'm a mid-level manager and I'm in charge of customers and customer complaints, I've got a delegated authority to give this amount of refunds without having to go to the higher-ups kind of thing. That's a delegated level of authority. I can spend this much or make these decisions within these dimensions on behalf of the company. If that's not clear, and often it's not in smaller or mid-sized companies, that also makes it very difficult. But I would be going, how does leadership get done in this organisation? If the CEO and the executive team aren't delegating and empowering, so delegating with trust, so not abdicating, delegating appropriately, I think you'll find that not many people will in the organisation because it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous to make a bold decision Mm. because you're probably going to get your head lopped off for that. So what advice do I have? Find somewhere where you can make decisions and where there is good decision making. If you're senior enough, have a conversation with more senior people about Here's some things that I've observed that might be getting in the way of us achieving and sustaining our strategic and financial goals. We've got a leadership and a culture challenge here. How might we overcome that? So start having conversations. But the reality is that's a really tough one to overcome. And I want to acknowledge how frustrating it is. There's nothing more frustrating than having a manager who won't make a decision. So I feel your pain. I wish I had a nice, succinct response, but the reality is that if you have the opportunity and if you if it's open to you, perhaps think about, is this for me? Is this the culture and the style of leadership that I want to work in? And do I have the opportunity to find perhaps a different culture and some different leadership to learn from, grow in and be effective? All right. We've got another sort of generic one. And let me preface this with, this is not a lead to soar member. This person asked, what are recommended work projects or professional development opportunities and resources to grow as a leader in your current position? So kind of what I'm reading between the lines here is how do I grow as a leader in the position that I'm in? And in part, how can I do that via like projects or accessing projects within this organization? Well, number one, good on you. I I love that question. And, you know, when we talk about career advancement, that is your story, listeners. So whatever your goals are, whatever you reach in your full potential, that's your story. And that's what we want to help you do. And part of being a great leader, and of course, leadership manifests itself at every level in every organisation. And part of being a great leader is also nailing your current job, mastery of your current role, being known for that person who you know gets it right, shows up, creates the outcome. So that's, that's fantastic that you want to do that. Resources, of course, I'm going to say 
you must read No Ceiling, No Walls. You must join Lead to Soar. Um, and next year you can read my book. But to make sure that you're developing in your own organisation, have a look out for, I guess, the, the non-core or the discretionary effort kind of things that you can get involved in. So whether they are things like employee resource groups or cross-functional projects. Uh, and I think the... I want to take a step back and say, number one, good on this person for wanting to achieve mastery in their current role. Keep reading and developing and what have you, but start to look for what are the things that are going on in my role and around my role and for my boss that I might be able to get myself involved in. Have a conversation with your manager to say, here's my intention, because let's not assume our managers know our aspirations, know our intentions. In fact, they probably don't. They're not mind readers, folks. So have a conversation with your manager to say, here's what I'm doing to make sure I do my job really well. Nail my KPIs. Here's some other things that I'm doing to develop myself to make sure that I'm going to be the, you know, reach my full potential in this role. I've noticed that there could be other opportunities across the business for me to increase my capability what do you think about me getting involved in some of those things? Or say to them, if you're not sure, perhaps you haven't got the full oversight of, of the organisation, say, I would like to get myself involved in other ways to contribute to the organisation. Do you have some suggestions? And, you know, again, this does wonders because building your reputation as someone who is, who really gets it and wants to take the business forward by making sure that she is reaching her full potential, but you're signaling to your boss, you're serious. Your boss is going to give you, I would hope, the air cover and the space to then be available for those things. And certainly in, again, you know, my own career, I've had bosses who said, hey, I, I want to get you involved in this and this will be really good for you. Oh, okay. Or I've gone to my bosses and said, hey, I'm going to get myself involved in this. Are you okay with that? Because it's going to take some of my time, but it is going to get, you know, take the business forward. So have those conversations, do some scanning, have some conversations. I have one more question and it's kind of like a, a future version of the one I just asked and it's kind of juicy. Okay. So this person asked, how do I demonstrate to my manager that I'm capable of being his legacy when he has explicitly stated he's having issues finding his replacement so he can retire? Okay. Awesome. <laughs> the door opened, jump through it. <laughs> so I want to go back to an episode you and I recorded a while back now, Mel, on succession planning. And yes, that was aimed at leaders. Great leaders make sure that they have a succession plan in place. If you don't have a succession plan, you're unlikely to be able to make your next move, including retirement. So what does a good succession plan look like? It means you've got someone ready to go now. And when we say now, that doesn't mean they're 100% competent in your skill set, but it means that they're 60% of the way there and they've shown the potential to step into your role. You're also developing someone for one to two years. So number one leaders, there's your first call out. Go and listen to our call about succession planning, but make sure you've got these people ready and have the conversation with them. You are on my succession plan. No guarantees, but you are on my succession plan. Here's what we're going to do. This mind reading business has got to stop, folks, because we just, we've got to be more overt and tell people what's going on. Anyway, stop ranting, Michelle. 
back to our person in question conversation you might know there's a bit of a thread here through today isn't it have a conversation have a conversation with your boss boss I know you're wanting to retire and I know you're struggling to find someone to be your successor I consider that I'm the right person for all of these reasons and of course you're going to demonstrate that you understand your boss's role and you understand the deliverables the outcomes that your boss is responsible for delivering and you're going to say here are my capabilities here's my potential because of course you won't necessarily have a track record yet of, of, of working at your boss's level but you can say here's my potential here's my track record I would like to be considered to be your successor to be your legacy once you retire won't that be great that you can go and play golf five days a week when I'm ready to take your role and have a plan to say here's what we need to do here's the transition plan you want to retire let's say it's the 30th of June 2024 I know you want to retire next June. So between now, we're recording now in October, mid-October 2023, here's the plan that I suggest. I'm going to start shadowing you at high stakes meetings. I'm going to start reading the material that you have. I'm going, you and I are going to together develop the team's plan for the next year etc etc so essentially you're going to walk in parallel with your boss between now and next June so have that plan don't expect your boss to do the heavy lifting because one of the ways to demonstrate that you are a leader you're a businesswoman who can take the business forward is that you are thinking at a level above and preferably two levels above so we know from research that women who are doing a really good job but they've got their head down and their bottom up and not scanning the environment for what's going on at their boss or their boss's boss's level are not necessarily going to be considered for promotion because they're just not in the know get yourself in the know of what's going on in the business create a plan have a conversation okay we don't usually like what ifs but i'm gonna what if here so what if this listener, she takes your advice and she goes to her boss and said, and has this conversation, right? Like, I want to be your successor. Here's why I think I would be good at it. What if they run into resistance? What if the boss isn't like, sure, I'll let you shadow me. This is a great idea. I'm totally on board, right? There's probably some in between sort of response that they're going to get le like potentially leaning toward resistance. Then what? Well, there's a couple of different ways. And, you know, I think one way which I'm a really big fan of is that you go to your strategic mentor within the organisation or your sponsor. I hope you have one. And we're not talking about someone who you have a nice cup of coffee with once a month and share chit chats and what have you. We're talking about the person, as Carla Harris said, who is going to help you get ahead at work. You're going to go to that person. You're going to find a strategic person, if you don't have them already, to go to who is at more senior than your boss and say, I'm really committed to my career. You're a person who's got X, Y, Z capabilities and a track record. Here's my goal. My goal is to be the successor for my boss. I would like you to help me by mentoring me for the next six months on how to do that. And hopefully that person says yes. And most, you know, many times people will say yes when they've got a very targeted request for strategic mentoring like that. You're, of course, then signaling your intent to another powerful person within the organisation. 
So that's a, a good way to put yourself on the radar and to get some tips because that person's going to have the political savvy to see what's going on or even above your boss's level to know whether you're in the running or not. There may be other stuff going on that you are not privy to and frankly, your boss might not, might not be either. So being able to read the political play, the human dynamics, is super, super important. So engage someone who's senior and powerful to help you with this. The other way, which is kind of not my preferred way, but maybe, you know, depending on your appetite for risk and your options, maybe that you ask to see your two-up manager, so your boss's boss, and have a conversation with them because actually they're the one who should be making the decision about who's going to fill that role. So your boss will certainly be, should have had a succession plan in place, sounds like they do not, but so you could perhaps uh, say to your boss, I'd like to speak to your boss about my career, future, etc. because I know you're retiring, or you could go to them directly. There's a bit of, there's a bit of blowing up the bridge behind you with that though. So you've got to be really careful and really skillful about using that tactic and put yourself on the radar of your two-up manager. Perhaps your strategic mentor might be able to do that in passing for you. Yep. You said it. You got to know and engage with the human dynamics. 100%. Because there will, there will be stuff going on. And look, if your boss is on the, the retirement track, I, I don't want to make any gross assumptions. But, you know, I have certainly seen people go, you know what? I'm retiring. I'm kind of checking out. I'm in the departure lounge. I don't really want to put the effort into identifying and developing someone. I just want to go and play golf or mm. lie on a beach or whatever it may be. And you know what? That's okay. But find out and find out who is the decision maker for this position once your boss heads off to do whatever they're going to do. Engage with that person. All right. These were really great questions. Thank you so much to members and listeners who submitted questions. And if you're new to the Lead to Soar podcast, you can submit a question to be answered on a future episode. Just visit leadtosoar.com and click ask a question on the podcast drop down. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, we hope to see you at one of the upcoming summits, either uh, coming up in Melbourne Australia in November 2023. Melbourne. Melbourne. <laughs> Not Melbourne. <laughs> or, of course, we'll be doing one again in Madison, Wisconsin in 2024. So this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, good on you, Mel. Thank you. And thanks for everyone who tuned in live. And we'll see you in the network. Ciao. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.